This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Avoid Probate with Jason Laidler. Heard every Sunday at 8 a.m. on Zoomer Radio. Welcome to the program with a unique focus on helping Canadians avoid probate. The one thing everyone should know about probate is that it's not inevitable. With some planning and good advice, you can avoid the exhausting, expensive and time-consuming probate process and have your affairs settled quickly and privately. Speaking of good advice, here are your hosts of Avoid Probate. Good morning, Zoomer listeners. Welcome to the Avoid Probate show on this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm glad you're with us. I'm Jason Laidler. And as usual, and I'm happy to say, I'm once again joined by the world famous Ted Wallachin. Good morning, Mr. Wallachin. You, you know, somebody asked me the other day, they said, why, why does he refer to you as the world famous? Does anybody outside of Mississauga even know who you are? <laughs> I said, no, not really. Mm. I, it's just Jason being as generous as Jason. Generous Jason. Well, would like to come call on. It's... Or some people call you the generous Jason. Oh, let's not go there. But anyway, um, you know, yeah. how many decades uh, have you been uh, playing this game on the radio, Ted? Um, this is year 48. Wow. I was uh, th- yeah. I was three years old. Yeah, I, know. I know. Well, you look a lot older than me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe sometimes I feel older than you too. Uh, I know. I, f- I felt about seventy eight last week. <laughs> this uh, the some of the cold weather and the cold winds we've had lately made me feel this weather. Older. You know, I have a cat, and uh, the cat's going crazy. The cat's still alive. Oh, well, the cat's only two years old. I know, but you were worried it was going to be a frozen ball of fur on your porch the other <laughs> yeah, time. Well, we were... That's right. We were talking because <laughs> it was so right. bloody cold out. He, he, he goes. He wakes up in the morning, and then he goes immediately looks out the door to try to figure out what's going on. I open the door to let him out. Takes a whiff of the air. Okay, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. And I go out. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't use the litter box in the house hardly at all. Mm-hmm. He's He likes to go out. He's got his own little place yeah, there. Yeah, cool. The I get it. Yeah, which, is, which is great. My dogs hardly use the litter box in the house as well. Well, dogs <laughs> normally don't, but cats do in many cases. But he, but he doesn't. He, he prefers to go out. Uh, but uh, there have been some days where he just steps outside for about two seconds and goes, nah, that'll be it for today. And then just goes, but the good thing about cats is cats can, I mean, they sleep. They there's sleep. A, there's a good thing about cats? The cats are great. Oh, okay. All oh, right. Are you going to say something no, negative no, I, about cats? I'm not going to say it. Because if you I'm do, I, I, can, I can give out your personal <laughs> cell phone number and uh, no, no. You, know, you, won't get, you won't sleep for I've, the next month. I've said everything. You'll get phone calls. <laughs> is this the cat hater? I mentioned, did I mention I have dogs? Okay. You can't have both. Like, come on. You're going to pick one. No, because the German Shepherd would eat the cat. I'm telling you no, right they now. Won't. No, they don't. They yeah. don't. They don't. Cats and dogs get along a lot better than you think. Kind of like cops and truckers. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds like uh, politics, and we don't talk about politics no, on the Avoid Probate it. Show. It we is don't. the Avoid Probate Show here on AM740 Zoomer Radio. Let's call it the Avoid Politics Show. That's a great idea. Well, remember, for a long time, it was the Avoid COVID Show, because we didn't talk about that either. Well, that's why I wasn't here. I know you were looking I for lied. a, a parking spot. No, I, I didn't. Wasn't looking for a parking oh. spot. I was looking for life. Oh, I see. Okay. 
Well, you know, we were talking about referring to the weather a minute ago. I mean, this the show that uh, our, our lovely listeners are enjoying right now is our first show of March. That's right. So is it safe to say spring is in the air? Well, it's a few weeks away. March is a, is a deceiving uh, month. It's a deceitful month, even deceitful sometimes. Deceitful month. Well, it can be, because you be, people think, well, we got through February, because February sucks. Nobody, nobody likes February. Pernicious. It's a pernicious month. Sure. And uh, <laughs> the problem is you get into March, and people say, well, hey, March is when spring happens in March, March 21st, 22nd. Yeah. I always get those confused. I think uh, it changes depending on the moon phases. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. So people think, well, we're into March. That means we're, we're, we must be into spring. And yet we've had some of the most horrific yeah. snowstorms but, in March. But, but so what? At least like this, Mind there's the hope. Other hand, hope is springing eternal. That's right. On the other hand, I mean, I've golfed in March. A couple yeah. years ago, sorry, sorry my late friend Normie, we went out golfing. It was like March 25th, I think. Sorry to hear that. It was a beautiful did, did, day. Did you take... Well, you don't golf, do you? you you got to do something because you've got to lose about 190 pounds. <laughs> oh, and golfing's going to do it? Sure. Sitting in a golf cart? Well, you, you can walk. No, you can't. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the pros do it four times a week. Well, yeah, whatever. The pros do it. They do. And they get paid millions of dollars for it, too. So, you know, okay. Because sign they're me up for that. Is that why? Yes. When you went golfing, Ted, did you take uh, Oreos with you for a snack on the course? No, but I appreciate you bringing... You brought in food last week, too. I did. You? I know. I'm two for two, what I think. What did you bring in last week? Strawberries. Strawberries. So, so far, you brought in pickles. <laughs> oh, don't even start to... Strawberries. So, yeah, I brought in Oreo cookies mm-hmm. today to share with my friends here at Zoomer Radio uh, on the Avoid Probate Show because it is National Oreo Day, and I actually just... Uh, I'll share this little blurb of info because I took the time to print it off. Why do you find this stuff out, by the way? Well, you didn't know that? I thought it was common knowledge. National Oreo Day is common knowledge? The Oreo biscuit was first developed. Do you want to take a guess, by the way, how old the Oreo cookie is? I would say 1800s. It's it's pretty old. I mean, not not the one you're eating now. 1912. I don't think, but the original? Um Developed and produced by the National Biscuit Company, today known as Nabisco, in 1912. Yeah, good guess, Ted. <laughs> the first Oreo was sold on March 6th, 1912. Oreo cookies used to be I, I, listen, brown with, with, gotta, with a white cream We gotta cream go to filling. a break. Enjoy your Oreos, listeners. Uh, top up your tea and coffee. Ted's gonna keep uh, chomping into the microphone. We'll be right back after this quick break. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. Good afternoon, friends. We are gathered here to remember, insert your name, and we're heartbroken because, insert your name, did not avoid probate. So the loved ones of, insert your name, have to wait a long time for what rightfully is theirs. I see I've made you cry. Recent changes in law make probate slower, more complicated, and more expensive. Don't make it harder for your loved ones. Avoidprobate.ca This is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back. You're listening to Avoid Probate. I'm Ted Wallachin, along with Jason Laidler, and you can contact Jason during the week. Info at avoidprobate.ca. Toll free, you can call the mom. (laughs) 1-800-MOM. 
<laughs> Hi, Mom. No, 1-844-667-7628, 1-844-667-7628. And Jason will get back to you as soon as humanly possible. Correct, correct. And uh, speaking of calling Mom... Uh, we're going to kind of do things a little different. I'm kind of going to throw a mailbag item out first in order to set up the topic of today's conversation. So got a call from a listener. Uh, thank you, listeners, for calling in with your questions and, and comments. You know, it doesn't have to be a question. We want to hear your stories as well. If you think you've got a story that um, is, is interesting, especially with regard to probate, uh, hopefully with regard to probate, share it with us. And uh, we might share it with all the other listeners and we can do it, well, we will do it anonymously. So I'm going to do this story anonymously, of course. The gentleman mm-hmm. called in. His wife passed last year. His wife had three children, I believe, um, from a previous relationship. They mm-hmm. weren't his biological children, but I guess they were his stepchildren. And uh, they owned a house and I think a condo as well. Anyway... Uh, mom's gone, and one of the boys, the youngest boy, in fact, and I don't remember how young he's young, like 20, 20s, not not like 8 or 9, um, took it upon himself to take over the house, change the locks, and lock the husband out of the house. So the husband is frustrated because the boy is saying, A, you're not my dad, which is kind of true, kind of sad, but kind of true, and B, he's saying, you're not even my mother's husband. Because I said, well, did you get married in Ontario? Because um, he has an accent, I thought, well, there's a chance he was married somewhere else. And not every Ontario doesn't recognize weddings from just anywhere. So I, I, I asked him that. He goes, no, 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 we got married in Ontario. Like we have, I have the marriage license. So just to jump ahead a little bit, he's frustrated. He's he needs a lawyer. Uh, I'm not the lawyer, as I've said before. I'm the investment guy here at, on the Avoid Probate team. Of course, we have lawyers on the team. Lawyers plural, because they specialize in different areas. And that's how we try to do things here is as accurately as possible. If you need an estate planning lawyer, okay, we can do that. If you need a lawyer for something else, usually the other thing is related to property. Mm-hmm. So call it a real estate lawyer. That's what I call it anyway. So we have a real estate lawyer. We have an estate planning lawyer. I think they're the two best in the business in the province. Maybe I'm biased on that. But in any case, uh, we have access to that uh, knowledge base, and they're happy to work with us to help our clients any way that we need them to, and they do that. Okay, so getting back to the story... He's, this man was recently served with uh, a notice of renunciation. This is where we're going today. This is the topic of today's show. Renunciation, what is it? What does it mean? How does it fit in with the probate picture, the probate puzzle, the probate nightmare? And I'm going to share a case study today relating to renunciation. It's not this guy's case study because his story hasn't isn't over yet. He might be a case study one day. Um, <clears throat> so... I'll just, I'll just, you know, give the listeners a, a clue if you haven't figured it out already. Renunciation has to do with your decision to step away from being the executor or, or dealing with the, the probate issue. And I've said this before, too. Like, even though I named Ted Wallachin to be the executor of my estate, it doesn't mean you're obligated to do it because... Mm. There could be a bazillion reasons why you don't want the job, but sure. I mean, things can change. Things you could move away, you could get sick, you could uh, our, our relationship could fall out, and you could you know not you just not want. You could be too busy. It doesn't matter what the reason is. the The point is just because you've named somebody doesn't doesn't create an obligation. And I'm not sure that that's widely understood. 
amongst uh, people who are doing their estate plans. Um, the other thing I should say while we're on the topic is when I, when I meet with somebody and, I, and I'm meeting with them for the first time and I'm doing like fact-finding stuff, I'll often ask, you know, um, are you named as an executor for anybody as far as you know? Because oftentimes people will name the brother, the sister, the uncle, the aunt, whatever, the buddy, and not tell them, mm-hmm. which is kind of wrong, right? If you're named, because it's a big deal. Uh, I thought you had to sign off on that. No, if I've done my will, if I've redone my will, you know, at ABC uh, legal firm down the street, and I just they ask me who I want to be the executor, and I say Ted Walsh, and then I go home and I put the will in a drawer. You're no, you're no wiser. You don't know that you've been named as an executor. I'm surprised that that, you, that wouldn't be something that you would have to go into the lawyer's office and sign off on. Well, that's why you're not bound. That's why you're not obligated. Right. Because as far as anybody knows, I didn't even have your permission. I didn't even run it by you. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's an option for you to opt out using this renunciation uh, tool. And I'm, we're going to talk about it. I should I should get into the case study because I don't want to run out of time before I get through it. Okay, so so that's what happened, and that's what got me thinking about this story, and that's what got me doing the the research on it because, you know, it's part it's part of probating an estate, and and if you're if you're the executor who has to go through the probate nightmare, you might not really want to do that job, especially mm-hmm. if you've been listening to this show and you find out how much of a nightmare it can be. Uh, John Natale, the the Manulife uh, guy, he did not tell the story on air about uh, the executor who was out of pocket $100,000 of his own money because of his expenses uh, that he incurred trying to help out. I'm not sure if it was a family member or a friend, but he was he was the exec- he was acting as the executor for somebody. He was out of pocket $100,000, and he was denied um, r- the refund. Why was he out of pocket for $100,000? Because, when, because the, there's expenses that, that carry on, uh, whether it's the property taxes or the mortgage payment or the funeral expenses or all these things. And if executors put their hand in their pocket thinking they're going to get reimbursed, uh, that happens all the time. And in this case, the, the I don't know why. I can't remember. I'll have to ask John uh, to tell me the details of this particular story. But the, the, the reimbursement was denied. So I'm not sure what the details are, but that's not uncommon. Well, see, then I would turn around and sue the estate. Okay, so now you're in court again for another four years and more legal fees. Yeah, well, it's better than just no, losing a hundred grand. I hear you. Okay, so before we get to the the, the next break, I just want to start uh, jumping into this this case study here. I'm going to read from this article. Uh, for the most part, I'm going to add some footnotes as we go. Uh, it starts off by saying, as the person managing the administration of the estate, executives are often the most readily available target for disgruntled or disinherited beneficiaries. If the risk is not effectively managed, serving as an executor can entangle you in costly litigation. So if you are named as an an executor in a will, it is important to consider the implications of acting as an executor before you take any steps to administer an estate. That's an important line here, and we're going to come back to this. Also, keep in mind that the role of executor becomes complicated when parties dispute when parties dispute which is the valid last will and testament. So this is something we see all the time. I've seen it recently. I've been there sitting at the table and the lovely brother and sister are saying, hey, this is this is dad's will that he had done it, but the lawyer's office, but the other sister is presenting some other crappy will on a napkin that she had dad sign in his own 
handwriting that's in both uh, English and Italian. And it's like four lines long. But but that's enough. That's enough to throw a wrench, a spanner into the works, as they say, and prolong the uh, the process and add a ton of uh, legal fees to the to the bottom line. This case involves a separated couple. Jan, the wife, challenged the validity of the last will and testament of Mark. Mark wrote a will leaving the residue of his estate to his wife, Jan. In 2007, Jan and Mark separated, and the breakdown of their marriage triggered contentious litigation over the division of assets, child and spousal support, and access to the couple's children. The couple remained locked in bitter proceedings until Mark's death from complications of an illness. I won't go into that. Mark signed a new will that divided the residue of his estate between his children and nephews and nieces, who were all minors at the time of his death. This is considered the 2013 will. In 2013, in that will, Mark appointed his sister, Erin, and his family lawyer, Ted. Was that you, by the way? Was it Ted Walshin? Did you used to... Uh... I can't comment. <laughs> so this is important. The sister and the lawyer. The lawyers are often named as the executor if if the person feels like there's nobody else in the family who's either trustworthy or eligible or knowledgeable enough or whatever the case may be. So this is not uncommon, but uh, the sister and the lawyer, Ted, are named as the executors here of this new will. After Mark's death, Aaron and Ted, the sister and the lawyer, applied for a certificate of appointment of a state trustee with a will. This is the first step of the probate process. You have to apply. So the will says, okay, I want Tom, or in this case, Aaron and Ted, and uh, I know we're going to go to a quick break here, but I just want to finish this thought. The first step is to apply to the court for the certificate of a state trustee, and and that that's part of the state. Or sorry, the probate process. They also started to administer. This is important. They also started to administer Mark's estate by paying a few outstanding debts, consolidating the estate's assets in a trust account, and paying a portion of Mark's funeral expenses. Okay, this is important in the story, and the story will continue when we get back from this quick break. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. My name is Marilyn and I avoided probate. Our story begins when Marilyn paid a visit to her mom's bank. She noticed something odd. She had 100% of her money tied up in GICs, making 1%. It wasn't enough to sustain her. She was dipping into her capital big time. Marilyn wanted to disperse the money for her mom's needs as she ages. She had acquired power of attorney. No, you can't do anything with her accounts. They're in her name. And that was that. I was overwhelmed by everything. I didn't know what to do. That's when Jason from avoidprobate.ca stepped in. There was a sense of urgency because Marilyn's mother is no spring chicken. This process takes time, and I didn't know how much time we had. He walked me through what I should do when I went to the bank, what I should say to them. Not only that, Jason went with Marilyn to the bank. They weren't happy that I was sitting across the table from them in the office, and they knew that we were trying to move this money. But I knew that we had a right to do that, and that it was the right thing to do. Persistence paid off, and we got the transfer done in time. So many seniors have these GICs at the bank, 
They will be probated. They will be frozen. They're paying next to nothing. And they're locked in with maturity dates. It drives me crazy. I don't understand why anybody buys these things. There are much better options out there. And sometimes we can do this transfer at no cost to the account holder. Should you get in touch with avoidprobate.ca? Anybody who has non-registered accounts at the bank needs to look into the services we provide at avoidprobate.ca because by definition, you can't put a beneficiary on a non-registered account at the bank. You can put a beneficiary on a non-registered account at an insurance company. The rules are different. I felt that the banks thought I was a thief, but Jason made me feel so much better. I know we've done the right thing. Call us at avoidprobate.ca on the toll-free number, but call us before your mom or dad passes away. That's when we can help you. Have the conversation with your parents and avoid probate like Marilyn did with avoidprobate.ca. Call 1-844-667-7628. This is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back. You're listening to Avoid Probate. Ted Wallach and Jason Laidler with you. And the information that we provide in the program, by the way, is for general consumption only, not intended to provide particular legal or investment advice. Every situation is different. So if you have legal or investment questions, you should speak with a licensed expert. Of course, you can contact Jason. Info at avoidprobate.ca. Or toll-free, 1-844-667-7628. Before you continue with this story about being an executor, you get paid to be an executor. Do you not get like a percentage of the estate? It's an option. You know, the the court has decided a long time ago the executor is entitled to compensation, but not every executor requests it. Uh, And remember, there are corporate executors, too, uh, as well, too. So... They obviously get paid because they're executors for hire, right? Yeah. But, but if I'm doing my mom's estate, for example, I don't. I could waive the uh, compensation. It's two and a half percent in. It's two and a half percent out. It's it's a total of five percent of the value of the estate, according to what the court the court's default. Okay. Okay. So yes. Okay. You get paid. So continue with your story here. Okay. So it's yeah, quite fascinating. So when Aaron and Ted, remember Aaron is the sister of the deceased Mark, mm-hmm. and Ted is the lawyer. When they made their application for a certificate of appointment of a state trustee, their application, just to add another twist, was held in abeyance because Jan, the now ex-spouse, uh, filed a notice of objection. And this is ex- this is exactly what's happened uh, in the case, the, the lovely Italian family I met with recently out in, uh, I think it was your neck of the woods, Ted. And, and I felt so bad for the guy because the sister, the one sister, uh, was objecting, and I mentioned the other will, and it was filed, and it just everything ground to a halt. And this guy said to me, and I, he just he just looked so forlorn when he said it. Um, Jason, we're a year. It's been over a year, and he said, and we're no further ahead. And not only were they no further ahead, they had a long road, the long road to hoe. If the sister was going to stick with her uh, plan of action there, but I want to get through this uh, case study here. So there's a file, there's a notice of objection filed now. So that's a, another spanner in the works. This is a one page document under which Jan gave notice of her objection to the issuance of the certificate of appointment for the last will and testament. Jan alleged that the newer will in 2013 was invalid on two counts. First, Jan said that Mark uh, lacked testamentary capacity. We can do a whole show on testamentary capacity. Mm-hmm. We probably should do that. Second, even if he had capacity, Jen alleged that Mark was unduly influenced by his sister, Erin. Apart from the will challenge, Jen was also suing Ted, the lawyer, for negligence. 
She alleged that Ted knew or ought to have known that Aaron was unduly influencing her brother, that she should uh, that he should be liable uh, for negligence. Uh, and like I said, remember Ted is the lawyer in this case. In the ordinary course, and and the punchline's coming up here, and it's a doozy, I think, which is why I picked this case study. In the ordinary course, in the context of a will challenge, the person named as an executor has to advocate that the will in question is valid. And that's what it means to say that the executor is propounding the will. I think in the whole time we've been doing the Avoid Pro Show, we've never used the word propounding before. I don't think we have. So uh, there you go. And maybe we'll use it again one day. When it was clear to Ted and Aaron that they were being sued personally, when it was clear they were being sued, they no longer wanted to act as executors. Okay, I get it. The problem was that no one else wanted to be an executor or propound the, the newer will. The nature of Jan's claims meant that Aaron and Ted were going to be witnesses in the litigation. With legal fees on both sides mounting, Jan sought an order requiring Aaron and Ted to propound the 2013 will. The order also requested directions on on other aspects of the estate litigation. The question before the court was whether the judge would allow Ted and Aaron to stop being executors and relieve them of their responsibility to propound the will. This, this is what I thought was so fascinating about this case. There's a question about, I mean, who, who would have thought that your ability or your option to walk away could be in question, right? You're a big boy. You have your liberties. You can come and go as you please. Yet there's a question here at this point in the story anyway as to whether or not they're going to be able to walk away. Just because a person is named as an executor in a will does not mean that they have to accept the appointment. We talked about this at the start of the show here earlier. Mm. If the named executor does not want to accept the appointment, he or she may fill out a form called renunciation. And there's that word again, renunciation, and file the same with the court. In order for the named executor to renunciate, the court must be satisfied that the person took no steps to act as an executor. This is critical, and this is what's so shocking. I'm going to say it again. In order for the named executor to renunciate, in other words, step away from the role, the court must be satisfied that the person took no steps to act as an executor. So the first thing that Aaron and Ted sought from the court was a confirmation that they could renounce their position as executors. The court did not agree. Aaron and Ted had already started to administer the estate and so were deemed to have intermeddled. I'm not sure we've used that word on the show before either. Intermeddled. Following another court case, a famous court case called Chambers v. Chambers, executors who have started to administer an estate are deemed to have intermeddled and are generally not allowed to renounce their position. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? So once you started the process, you can't bail. That's right. Imagine you're up the creek once you start to intermeddle. So before you decide to accept... An executive position. Think twice. Well, exactly. Before you decide to do anything, talk to your lawyer. And this is why I say it all the time as well that the probate process, never mind the one and a half percent probate fee to the province, the pound of flesh that you got to pay based on the value of the estate on the date of death. Never mind that. Okay. How about the thousands of dollars of legal fees? Because you should be calling a lawyer. It's very rare for somebody to be able to probate. Who's going to file an application for a certificate of a state trustee with a will if you've never done it before? I'm not the guy here 
who's uh, singing the praises for the legal profession necessarily, if you know what I mean. But at the same time, I, I understand. I, I, I get why people, well, the first call you should make is, is to an estate planning lawyer, not uh, the guy you bought your house from or your condo from. Call an estate planning lawyer. Call us. Call avoidprobate.ca. Uh, the name of the company says it all, avoidprobate.ca. We can help you for sure. We're almost uh, done with this case study here. They, they were not allowed to renounce their position. As an alternative argument, Aaron and Ted asked the court to remove them as executors. They argued that the Office of the Children's Lawyer, OCL, and the Public Guardian and Trustee, we've talked about uh, the Public Guardian and Trustee's office before, they argued that they had a duty to propound the will on behalf of the underage beneficiaries. In support of their own removal, Aaron and Ted submitted that given that they were being sued personally and would have to be witnesses, there was a conflict of interest. How could they, on one hand, be expected to give impartial, honest testimony and at the same time advocate for the validity of the will? The court declined to exercise its discretion to remove Aaron and Ted for a number of reasons. In part, the court refused because there is no obligation in the rules of civil procedure or under the mandate of either the OCL or the PGT, the Office of the Children's Lawyer or the Public Guardian and Trustee. There's no mandate to actively propound a will. The court was also persuaded to require Aaron and Ted to propound the, the will on the basis of their personal involvement in drafting, remember he was the lawyer, Ted mm-hmm. was the lawyer, drafting and executing the will. This was supported by the following facts. Ted and Aaron assisted in the preparation of the will, arranged for Mark to attend Ted's office to sign the will, and were witnesses to the events of uh, January that year when the will was executed. What lessons should a potential executor learn from this case? Well, we kind of touched on it already. You, you hit the nail on the head, Ted. Before you act... To administer an estate, consider the likelihood of litigation and whether you are committed to seeing the process through. Renouncing before you administer an estate is a matter of filing a form with the court. This is a much easier and less expensive uh, method than persuading a judge that you didn't intermeddle in an estate. Where there is any doubt, sound legal advice can be the difference between filing, sorry, between filling out paperwork and ongoing litigation. So there, I just did some uh, bidding for all the estate planning lawyers out there. But that's okay. I'm okay with that, even though they make their living, um, part of their living, probating estates. And we have a solution, which we haven't talked about today, and I'm okay with that. We'll, uh, if you want to know what the solution is to avoiding probate on the estate, give us a call at the office or send us an email, and we'd be happy to share that information with you. Or... Uh, listen next week. We'll talk about it next week. But right now, we are going to go to the mailbag. Uh, it's that time of the show. Very popular. So top up your tea or coffee, and we'll do the mailbag right after this quick break. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. Hi, this is Ted Wallison for avoidprobate.ca. And joining me is the president and founder, Jason Laidler. Jason, what exactly is probate? Probate is a court process that is required in most provinces before an estate representative, also known as an executor, can begin to settle the estate of a deceased person. Here in Ontario, we pay the highest probate fees in the country. 
And is there a fee for your services? Most of the time, we're able to help our clients avoid probate at no cost to them. And that is simply because our professional advisors get paid directly by the financial institutions that we work with. And what is the best way for people to contact you should they wish to avoid probate? For more information and to book your free consultation, you can email us at info at avoidprobate.ca or you can call us toll-free at 1-844-667-7628. And don't forget to join us each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. right here on Zuma Radio so you too can avoid probate. This is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Okay, let's head down to Kensington Markets, one of the coolest places in Toronto where you'll find the coolest place for men's fashion. That is Tom's Place, 190 Baldwin. Mr. Tom, how are you this afternoon? Ted, all I can tell you is that we're doing fine. And not only we're doing fine, the people that shop here are doing even better. There is no shortage of merchandise in our store. The groomsmen are coming in. The merchandise is right on the racks. All we have to do is just find what size they need, get them fitted, and they're ready to go. Tuxedo galore. You want peak lapel, shawl lapel, notch collar, we have it all. You want a single button, a double button, it's not an issue with us. We have the goods in our store. Nobody has inventory like Tom's Place. Nobody has groomsmen suits at the prices as Tom's Place. We sell 100% wool suits. That's what we sold when my dad had the store. That's what I'm selling now. I don't believe in a polyester suit for my customers. I wouldn't want to wear it. Why should they? So nice to hear your voice, Dad. Have a great day. And please remember, nobody has selection like Tom's Place. 190 Baldwin in the heart of Kensington Market. That's where you'll find Tom's Place. It's the Avoid Probate Show. Ted Walshen, along with Jason Laidler, who is Mr. Avoid Probate. And you can contact him, info at avoidprobate.ca. Toll free, 1-844-667-7628. And we invite you to go to the website, avoidprobate.ca, and you can... Play with a little calculator there and figure out how much probate you might have to pay should you fall into that. And uh, you can also uh, listen back on some of our previous programs and all kinds of great stuff. Including the mailbag items that we're going to talk about right now. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I've been trading emails with this listener. Uh, That's common, and I actually prefer it. When you call uh, the toll-free number, and I encourage you to do that, but of course you're going to talk to mom. And that's fine. It's just uh, it doesn't come to me directly, and that's for obvious reasons. I'm either on a call, I'm in a meeting. I don't take calls in when I'm in meetings with clients. Um, I could be in the studio recording the show. I could be on another phone call. I mean, the, the, there's all kinds of reasons why I can't take your call, and that's uh, mom's job to coordinate that stuff. So she does a great job of doing that and passing the, the contact info on to me, and I, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But what I'm getting at is um, emails will come right to my phone and so i'm going to share an email right now again this is the midway through the conversation you know maybe i'll actually back it up here okay i'm going to back it up and start with the first one uh, from this listener having listened to your radio program on 7:40 a.m a few times i have some questions i'd like to ask as a retired male with no spouse to transfer my assets I have designated beneficiaries on my RIF and TFSA, and that's good, because remember we talked about that. If it's a registered account, you can and probably should have beneficiaries named on those registered accounts. It doesn't mean you do. Don't assume that you do. 
because I've seen it happen where it didn't happen at the bank for some reason, and that caused a big problem that could have been easily avoided. But uh, so you can and you should probably have beneficiaries on those registered accounts. Carrying out the note here, my questions deal mainly with cash outside of registered accounts because that is the problem. You cannot put a beneficiary on that money at the bank, and that's what we're solving. That's the problem we're solving by doing the transfer. Uh, trading accounts that I have and wish to avoid paying taxes upon death. Okay, here come here comes the list of questions. This guy put some time and effort into this email. It's it's lengthy. Um, hopefully, we can get to another one. But let's see what let's see if we can get through this one first. Question one: If I were to transfer any of these funds in cash to a specific insurance company, that would suggest uh, what that you would suggest. What exactly could that portfolio contain? My reply. Uh, the portfolio would contain various seg funds, short for segregated, that we have chosen together as part of the normal new account setup process. Question two, would would my funds slash cash be invested in any mutual funds that I wish to use or only those run by the insurance company that I transfer the money to? And I said, no mutual funds. You cannot put a beneficiary on them if they're non-registered. Seg funds are the solution. We would be using the seg funds offered by the insurance company. Question three, would I be able to purchase ETFs of my choice with the money I transferred to the insurance company? ETFs, uh, ETF is short for exchange traded fund. My answer was at this time, the insurance companies are not set up to offer ETFs, exchange traded funds. Again, seg funds are the solution to avoiding the probate nightmare. So the next question says, would I be able to purchase individual stocks and trade on the stock market with the money I transfer to the insurance company? My answer, at this time, the insurance companies are not set up to handle brokerage slash trading accounts for individual securities. His next question, are only segregated funds available for purchase with the insurance company where I put my money? I said, no, there are, I said GICs, they're GIC equivalents, and there's something else we can call a GIC slash seg fund blend, which provides guaranteed income. That's a very cool tool. The insurance companies have, a pro- well, some of them, only a couple as far as I know, have uh, a product that provides a guaranteed income for life, and in the income amount is based on your age, and it's a great alternative to GICs because the income uh, guaranteed amount is like quadruple current GIC amounts. So that's something we can talk about. And again, the money's not locked in, and of course it avoids probate. His next question, this is all in the same email, by the way. What are the management fees associated with the money placed with the insurance company? Is it based on the investment vehicles in my portfolio with the insurance company? I said, yes. The fees vary depending on which seg funds we have chosen and what level of guarantee you have chosen. The fees are all very reasonable and competitive within the industry. When I I talk about what level of guarantee, I'm referring to that death benefit guarantee we've talked about so many times on the show before. If you're under the age of 85... You can opt for a 100% death benefit guarantee, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. It yep. helps you sleep at night. Yep. It doesn't matter uh, what happens geopolitically. I'm not going to go into the details there, but if the markets uh, hit the skid, so to speak, it doesn't really matter to you because if that's the day you get hit by a bus, the insurance company will top up any shortfalls and pay the difference, pay the full amount of your investment out to your named beneficiaries. So it just really helps you relax in terms of uh, market volatility. I think we got two left here. Same email. Is there a life insurance component associated with this form of investment with an insurance company to avoid probate? I said, yes. Uh, 
If you are under the age of 85, you are eligible. I just talked about this for the 100% death benefit guarantee. This is an amazing feature of seg funds. It removes market performance worries. Uh, last question in this email. Is this strategy to avoid probate called an insurance-linked investment program? Mm-hmm. I said, maybe. <laughs> I'm honest. I'm not familiar with that term. I'm not familiar with the term insurance-linked investment program. But I do know that you know all the different financial institutions put their own label on things. And, and so, so even though it's an RSP, they call it whatever. And this institution calls it something different. And so that that's why I don't really, I'm not too worried about the terminology in this case. Uh, what did I say? Insurance linked investment program. I don't know. You can call it that if you want. I'm not sure what, uh, how, what, what that means or how much it matters. Um, well, you know, he says, I look forward to receiving your answers. I wrote back. I said, I hope that helps. Please don't hesitate to reply if you have any other questions or if I can be of any further assistance. Well, guess what? He had more questions. Uh, only a couple more in this case. So thanks for the quick response. A few more questions. Thanks for the easy-to-read uh, reply you sent me. Are segregated funds managed within an insurance company considered a registered fund? No, not necessarily. Remember, registered funds are something specific. They're your TFSA. They're your RSP. If you're over the age of 71, they're your RIF. There's other versions. It could be a lira. It could be money from a pension. It could be a lira locked in retirement account. It could be a life income fund. There's a bunch of acronyms and different kinds of seg. Or sorry, registered funds. But it doesn't mean just because the money's at an insurance company doesn't mean it's a registered fund. You can have non-reg. In fact, that's what we're doing. That's the solution. Bring the non-registered money from the bank that you can't put a beneficiary on. Bring it over to the insurance company and put a beneficiary on it so it doesn't get probated. Question number two. Are the segregated funds within the insurance contract taxed by CRA upon death of the policyholder, i.e. total value of any part of the fund added to the final tax filing of the deceased policyholder before distribution to the beneficiaries? I get this this question a lot. A lot of people, I don't know, they just assume that because we move the money from the bank to the insurance company, it changes uh, CRA, Canada Revenue, uh, treatment of of the money it does not it has it's got nothing to do with revenue canada it does you know the the probate is a provincial tax you know it's a this right. is the provincial death tax and that's the problem we're solving we're avoiding the probate fee and we're avoiding the the nightmare the 10 months the legal fees all that stuff the stress the the liability so yes we're solving that but in terms of revenue canada it doesn't change anything i mean I guess we could say if you're crystallizing gains to do the transfer, you are resetting the ACB. That's um, not everybody's going to understand what I mean by that. But if you um, if if you have ever crystallized gains, you might know what I'm talking about. And if you want to know more, please give me a call or email me. So no, the answer is no. It doesn't affect CRA at all. <clears throat> the last question from this listener in the follow up email here says. When purchasing seg funds with an insurance company, are part of the monies assigned to the insurance company used to purchase a death benefit and therefore deducted from the amount invested into the fund, or is the death benefit paid for within the management fees charged for managing the fund? This is a great question. In other words, the guy, the guy, and it is a guy, um, judging from his name, although I could be wrong, but anyway, the guy saying, the person, the listener, is saying, you know, if I move my million bucks and I opt for the 100% death benefit guarantee, what's coming out of my million bucks? Am I paying for that guarantee? 
uh, out of my million bucks up front. That that is an option, and it's it's that's called a front end load. I don't use it. I could. I don't like it. There are some rare instances where it actually is is preferable. It's preferable to the client for some reasons. Um, we could talk about it another day, but most of the time, and I mean like ninety nine times out of a hundred. When you move your million dollars over to the insurance company and put beneficiaries on it, the entire million dollars is working for you on day one. There's nothing that comes off the top. So that's the answer to this listener's question. Nothing comes off the top. The whole million, the whole amount of the transfer is working for you on day one. And that's that's pretty cool. So there's, it doesn't cost you. I've said it before. The transfer from the bank over to the insurance company to avoid the probate nightmare cost you nothing. And I mm-hmm. and that includes when I say that, I mean that. Like you don't write a check, nothing comes out of your account. Uh, if you if you move a million bucks, then a million bucks is working for you at the insurance company now with beneficiaries on it. So it hasn't cost you anything. And and it's not locked in and you've got the death benefit guarantee and you're avoiding the probate and if you need access to the money, that's an option. We can do that because, like I said, it's not locked in. And if you decided for some strange reason six months down the road that you really missed dealing with that nice lady at the bank and you want to go back to the bank, yeah. go ahead. The, the the transfer back to the bank also costs you nothing. So there's very little downside to what we're trying to do here. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that I found that uh, email. And I'm glad that listener took the time to ask so many questions because it covered, we touched on a lot of different uh, yep, aspects. Indeed. And um, I hope I hope they don't mind me sharing, you know, their curiosity with the listeners. I hope it was, uh, you know, informative. And said, having said that, we're going to take our last break of the day and we'll be right back to wrap up the show. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. Good afternoon, friends. We are gathered here to remember, insert your name, and we're heartbroken because, insert your name, did not avoid probate. So the loved ones of, insert your name, have to wait a long time for what rightfully is theirs. I see I've made you cry. Recent changes in law make probate slower, more complicated, and more expensive. Don't make it harder for your loved ones. Avoidprobate.ca this is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back. You are listening to the conclusion of this week's episode of the Avoid Probate Show. And you can get a hold of Jason. Dun, dun, dun. During the course of the week, info at avoidprobate.ca. That's the best way to get a hold of them. Or you can make a phone call yep. if you wish. Yep, yep. Whatever uh, works. It's a toll-free call. Uh, Jason's mom will answer the phone. She'll pass on information to Jason. 1-844-667-7628. I, sh- I should add that I don't take calls in meetings and things like that because it's out of, out of respect for my the clients and the listeners. Um, mom also doesn't take calls when she's on a call. So if you do call and you don't get an answer, it's because... We're on a call, so please either call back yeah. or leave a message. Uh, we'll get back to you either way. But, uh, yeah, time flies when you're having fun and when you're eating Oreo cookies, apparently, because uh, <laughs> looks like Ted's done a good number on the little I've got a couple left for the ride home. <laughs> yeah, well, I did. I do have a few extras, I think, if uh, if you need any. Well, I may. So uh, is that your breakfast, by the way? That's pretty much it. Yeah. 
Breakfast of Champions. That and the coffee. Well, uh, we got to wrap it up. So obviously, I want to say my thank yous like I do every week. So thank you, uh, Frank, for looking after us on the other side of the glass there. Thanks to Ted Walshin for his decades of radio excellence. Thanks to you, Zoomer listeners, for your time today. Hope you enjoy the show. Hope you'll come back next Sunday morning. We'll be here at 8 o'clock. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You've been listening to an exclusive podcast of Avoid Probate with Jason Laidler. Heard every Sunday at 8 a.m. on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.